And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, your chance each week to get a little sample of what's happening with the great podcasting at Podcast Central, easy and available 24-7 at EWTNRadio.net. We want to encourage you this week and continue to grow our Catholic faith as we jump into Catholic Review Radio. I'm Ace McKay, your host, and we want to look into the rules of discernment this week and the patterns of how God inspires us, how we recognize whether it's coming from the Lord or not, and also the importance of being open to the Holy Spirit. So we'll jump into it this week with Catholic Review Radio on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. My name is Father Brian Nolan. I'm a priest from the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed today. Pentecost is coming up, and the title for today's conversation is Spiritually Preparing for Pentecost, How to Grow in Your Openness to the Holy Spirit. And we are blessed to have a dear friend, a spiritual director of, of many years, Father Peter Ryan. Uh, Father Peter is a Jesuit. He's the professor of moral theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Special welcome to you today, Father Peter. Well, thank you, Father Brian. It's great to be here with you. So Pentecost is coming up, and of someone who has an openness to the Holy Spirit, you rank up there in my book and have taught me probably more about just listening and being open to the Holy Spirit. What would you say of why this annual celebration of Pentecost is important for the Church and for us? Well, the gift of the Holy Spirit is something we absolutely need. I mean, it, we can't do without the Holy Spirit, that's, that's for sure. And so Mm -hmm. we need to remember that this is the gift the Lord has given us. You know, sometimes we forget how much we need the Holy Spirit. It seems to us that we should be able to do things pretty well just all by ourselves. Here we are, we're created by God, we have all kinds of gifts and abilities. But, you know, Scripture tells us that if we live according to the flesh, and that doesn't only mean if we're doing some obviously grossly sinful things, but if If we're kind of living out our own agenda rather than trying to find and follow the Lord's plan for our lives, we're going to not really be able to please God. But if this is what St. Paul says in Romans, if you're in the Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you, then the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit which dwells in you. And will, the idea is that it will enable you to live a holy life and accomplish, life and accomplish the will of God. Mm-hmm. So we need the Spirit. What would you say, many times you've had a great witness and openness to the Holy Spirit in life, and it's something you taught me in, in spiritual direction about, like, what is the Lord asking? What is the Lord asking? You wouldn't answer my questions. You would ask me to ask the Lord and then see what he said and then help discern that. What was your experience early on with, uh, becoming more aware of the Holy Spirit and the promptings of the Spirit in your own life? Well, you know, like everybody else, I came to understand that I was not able to do it myself, to make myself uh, a better person just by my own efforts, but that I really needed I needed help from the Lord. Maybe I should tell you a little bit about my own sort of spiritual awakening. 
I was, uh, it was between my junior and senior years at Loyola College in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I've got my connection with Baltimore. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, well, let's, I imbibed, that's a carefully chosen word, yeah. too much of the secular <laughs> college culture. And I was mm-hmm. at a July 4th fireworks celebration wondering why I wasn't making more of my life. I tried to push these thoughts aside because they're kind of painful, but I couldn't really ignore them. And I kind of realized, wow, what a, what a contrast there was between the beauty of the fireworks that night and the painful sadness that was really gripping my own heart. So, you know, later on, I came to understand what was going on in light of the rules of St. Ignatius, but because the Holy Spirit stings with remorse people who are going from bad to worse. And I couldn't change myself. But before I went to bed that night, I was moved to pray a prayer that I had never prayed or even heard of before. I just found myself saying over and over again in kind of desperation, Lord Jesus Christ, please invade me with your Holy Spirit. It's a kind of funny prayer. Usually we don't invite invasion. <laughs> we usually try to send off invasion. But I, I, I kind of knew that I would maybe find some way to resist the Lord unless I insisted that he come in like gangbusters. So, you know, it's interesting. The very next evening, without even remembering the prayer that I had prayed the night before, I called a, a young woman who was a very faith-filled person that I wanted to ask out. And before I really had a chance to do so, she invited me to go to a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting, and I went that very <laughs> evening. It's kind of funny. I found wow. myself torn. I wasn't used to all this emotional expressiveness, mm-hmm. but I also found myself attracted by the joy of the people who spoke so freely about Jesus and who obviously had some connection with the Holy Spirit. And at this meeting, you know, when the singing in tongues reached a crescendo and the words of the song seemed to be directed right to me, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit giving me strength and peace and joy. And uh, I remembered that I had prayed that prayer the evening before, and I just couldn't really hmm. deny that God had very graciously answered it. And that, that kind of set me off on the right track from there on. I have many stumbles since, but the Lord answered my prayer. So I guess I want to just say, ask for the Holy Spirit. That's the key. Ask. Beg for the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. I love how uh, someone taught me one time just the three-word prayer, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. what should I do? Come Holy Spirit, show me what to say. Come Holy Spirit. That short little prayer can be used for, for anything and just, just deepening a, just a relationship with the Spirit. But what does that look like? To be more open to the Holy Spirit. Like, like, how do you concretely do that? Obviously, these little, just a little prayer to the Holy Spirit was a sign of your openness. But what, what does the richness of the church teach us of how we can just become more openness? What does that look like in, in practicality? Well, I guess what we need is something that requires a certain sacrifice, and that is detachment. Everybody, I think, tends to have his own agenda. And what we really need is to is to let go of our own agenda. Now, it might be that our agenda doesn't include all kinds of really bad things. Maybe we have our our own ideas about what the good things are that we should do. But the idea is the Lord doesn't want us to just avoid doing bad things and do any old good things we might want. That's a whole lot better than doing bad things. But he has a, a concrete plan for our lives. 
he wants to walk with us. He wants to unfold a beautiful plan for our lives. And so we need at each moment at each little crossroads to say, please guide me, Lord. And, you know, then you do the best you can to make the decision that seems best to you. But if you're praying like that along the way, and I really are open to doing whatever it might be the Lord wants, uh, you can be confident that he's leading you. Mm-hmm. And it can be complex because at times there can be things that, that are surprises. You know, a person has to uh, change jobs and they didn't expect that or they lose a loved one and it can be very confusing for people. A lot of people get, get stuck in that. What, what would you say to that, to people who just get stuck and say, I, I don't think this is your will, Lord, to lose a loved one or I don't think this is your, I mean, how, what, what words of, of encouragement would you give to them? Well, the Lord's very compassionate and when we are in sorrow, he's right there with us He's he's compassionate. He empathizes. At the same time, that we shouldn't too quickly assume that we know this wasn't God's plan. You know, Saint Peter wasn't exactly uh, responsive when the Lord said he was going to be suffering and dying on the cross. No, this mm-hmm. must not happen to you, Lord. And of course, the Lord's words mm-hmm. were pretty strong. Get behind me, Satan. Well, I mean, the Lord loved Peter and kept him as the leader of the church, obviously, but he also knew that Peter had to let go of his own agenda and realize that sometimes the path the Lord calls us on has some unexpected and very difficult elements to it. But if we stick with the Lord, trust him, cry out to him, ask for help, he's going to give it. He's going to show us. You know, we, I think the, what we tend to do is try to have everything work out on this side of death. But (laughs) the Lord didn't really promise that. What he promised Mm -hmm. us is a kingdom where we'll be happy forever with no more troubles at all. And that doesn't mean we're going to be miserable in this life. We have a, a joy as we anticipate the fullness of the Lord's presence in his kingdom. But we shouldn't expect to sort of have everything just work out just right in this life. I mean... We know from the whole history of the church that the Holy Ones have suffered and they've even been martyred. And the Lord has the sacrifices that he's asking of us, but also his presence to give us joy that runs deeper than any sorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole experience of the fruits of the Spirit in the most difficult times of the spirit of peace that he can give us, a consolation and peace even in the most right. difficult times or even in comforting someone in sickness or our own experience. I was just talking with someone earlier who's just struggling with that. That's that invitation to surrender because it's there's just a lot of uncertainty in, in his life. And he's, he's not that old with some health issues. So it does require just a, a lot of surrender. We are blessed mm-hmm. to have Father Peter here. We're talking about spiritually preparing for Pentecost, how to grow in your openness to the Holy Spirit. In the next segment, we're going to have a little bit more, some of maybe the wisdom of St. Ignatius Loyola. We're talking to a Jesuit, so give us great wisdom of, of how to know when the Holy Spirit is speaking, how to, how to have a, a clearer understanding of his voice, and even some stories of just different ways you can share stories of people noticing and responding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So we are blessed to have Father Peter Ryan with us, the professor of moral theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. We'll be back in a short moment. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. 
the Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Archbishop William E. Lurie has appointed Adam and Holly Novotny the new liaisons to the charismatic renewal for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. The Novotnys are parishioners of St. Mark in Catonsville, active in the Baltimore area branch of the Marian Servants of Divine Providence, an apostolate focused on intercessory and healing prayer and spiritual direction. The Archbishop asked the new leaders to pay special attention to continuing outreach efforts to young adults and Hispanic ministries. Adam Novotny is the Director of Operations at St. John the Evangelist in Severna Park. His wife is the Accounting Manager at St. Mark Church and School in Catonsville. They succeed Bob and Julie Sawyer, who have served as liaisons for more than 10 years. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Parents in the United States are more likely to prioritize passing on their religious views to their children rather than their political views, according to data analysis from the Pew Research Center. A new analysis of several Pew Research Center surveys found that most parents pass along both kinds of affiliation to their children. One survey by the center found that 35% of U.S. parents said it was extremely or very important that their children share their religious views, while fewer than half as many, 16%, said the same of their political views. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matasek. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. My name is Father Brian Nolan. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed today, and Pentecost is around the corner as the church celebrates this annual feast. And the title of our program today is Spiritually Preparing for Pentecost, How to Grow in Your Openness to the Holy Spirit. We have Father Peter Ryan, a Jesuit, who is a professor of moral theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. Special welcome back, Father Peter. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Father Peter, you're a Jesuit, and you are one who has spent a lot of time with things like St. Ignatius's Rules of Discernment, which are kind of patterns, patterns that Ignatius Loyola recognized that the Lord can help us to know when he's speaking to us, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Can you speak about a little bit of the origin of, of some of this, of, of where Ignatius came from for Ignatius? And maybe some examples of rules of discernment. Obviously, we won't be able to do it comprehensively, but yeah, share with uh, our listeners uh, some background on this. Sure. Well, St. Ignatius had a powerful conversion experience after his knee was blown apart by a cannonball when he was in that battle. And during mm-hmm. his time of recuperation, he wanted to, something to read. He was interested in reading the romance novels of the time, but all they had available were spiritual books, and I think history would be rather different (laughs) had that Mm -hmm. not been the case, because that Mm -hmm. got him thinking. 
and he he realized that he was going in the wrong direction that his life was was not really a following of the Lord and so he just turned around and said maybe I could be like St. Francis or St. Dominic and give my life completely to the Lord no matter what the cost and as he did so he realized the Lord was speaking to his heart and helping him to understand the interior motions that he experienced. The rules for the discernment of spirits are based on his own experience, and he calls them rules for becoming aware of and understanding the different movements which are caused in the soul, the good movements to receive them and the bad to reject them. So the idea is that all of us experience interior motions that give us joy or sorrow. And we call it spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation, according to whether they're really relevant for our spiritual life. Just having, you know, joy because your team won the game isn't spiritual consolation so much. But if mm-hmm. there's if something happens that is a joy that has spiritual significance for you, then we would call it spiritual consolation, and of course its opposite is spiritual desolation. And mm-hmm. so St. Ignatius understands these rules from his own experience. And it's first really talking about people who are going from mortal sin to mortal sin. Well, that's something that the enemy is very pleased with, and he tries to keep us going along that path by having us imagine things that would be sinful and trying to tempt us to do mm-hmm. them. But the good spirit uses the opposite method by trying to prick our conscience and, and help us to turn away from, from sin and use our reason so we can turn to the Lord. But then it's different if people are trying to live a good life. And mm-hmm. I sure hope and think most of our listeners must be doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. going on intensely cleansing their sins and rising from good to better in the service of the Lord. The good and evil spirits act differently with that kind of person because the Holy Spirit wants to encourage people who are trying to serve him. He doesn't need to prick their consciences if they're already doing what is right. He needs to encourage them to keep going, whereas Mm -hmm. uh, the evil spirit wants to discourage. He wants to, to disquiet us, to put false reasons, to prevent us from really accomplishing what the Lord wants for us. And so he gives us desolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember first hearing that and realizing that it should give people, especially mothers and fathers who are worried about wayward children, to say, oh, they're never going to come back in this. And it was just like, wait a minute. The Lord will never leave them happy away from him. <laughs> He'll leave them the, the restlessness of St. Augustine. And it should give us right. consolation to say they're not safe away from the Lord or like he'll never give them a, a peace of conscience when they're away from him or choosing things contrary to him. So never forget right. it's built exactly. in that way. No one's happy in sin. No one's happy in sin. Right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so when we're, when we're sinning, the Lord doesn't give us peace because he wants much more for us. He wants us to be innocent and holy and forgiven and filled with joy, but he can't just give us joy on top of all kinds of sin without really dealing with the sin and having us, turn away from it and turn to the Lord. And so sometimes he has to prick our consciences. Once Mm -hmm. he's done that, and we're really trying to live a holy life, then if we start experiencing sadness and accusation, we can be sure that's not not the Lord. 
It's interesting mm-hmm. the contrast the way the Lord and the with the Holy Spirit and the evil one work. The Holy Spirit wants us, if we're in sin, to recognize our sin, so he pricks our conscience, to go to confession, to confess our sins, and then he then he doesn't worry about it, he doesn't bother us with that, and he, he gives us joy and encourages us along the way forward. The evil spirit, by contrast, doesn't want us, he wants us to sin. When we do sin, he wants us to make very light of it and think it's no big deal and to keep doing that and worse things more and more, and uh, he doesn't want us to go to confession. He has us minimize the sin, but then once we do go to confession, he wants to accuse us and bother us and discourage us and about the sin that we've confessed. It's only mm-hmm. after he lost the battle of getting us to repent that he, that he then accuses us to try to discourage us. But mm-hmm. the Lord has already forgiven us, and he doesn't hold that against us anymore. And so we can kind of recognize if we're trying to do the Lord's will, but we keep getting, you know, hassled, as it were, from within, that we just need to say, okay, this is not the Lord. God will be with me. He'll show his his face at just the right time, and I can trust him through this time of his allowing me to experience his disquiet. Mm -hmm. It's not from him. That's right. Father Peter, I know that amongst the rules of discernment, I think some essential, the rules include, make sure you discern before during and after. And can you give us some examples of people who discerned and kind of said, like, it's certainly, this is what I'm called to. And then as they continued to discern, it was like, maybe I'm not called to that. Can you give some living examples of, of the rules of discernment being applied to a, a person's life? Well, you know, I teach at a seminary, and mm-hmm. seminarians discern whether they're called to enter. And, you know, most of the time, almost all the time, really, they, they, they enter because they believe the Lord is calling them to enter. And mm-hmm. so they discern. Now, they might too quickly assume that their discernment is over for good and they know they need to be a priest before they even enter the seminary. Now, God takes us one step at a time, and, you know, you discern that you're supposed to enter, and then you enter, and then you continue to discern, is this where I'm supposed to stay? Does the Lord want me to make that commitment? Once one makes a commitment, you know, that's not the time to discern, but... Entering is not the same thing as getting ordained, and so the whole time in the seminary is supposed to be a discernment. The same is true for marriage. It's not just seminarians. I mean, and for other things that we do in our life, but marriage is a good example. You know, you you maybe discern, should I get into a courting relationship with this young man or young woman, and should I be open to marriage with this person? And should I get engaged? And you discern that, and you might sense, I really should. But you're, you're still discerning all the way up until you're actually married, although you're, you know the idea is, yeah, this seems right. I'm going to keep going with this unless it becomes clear that that's not the direction that I'm supposed to go in. So you, you say, Lord, you show me if it's not what you want, but as things are unfolding, it seems like this is your will. And he makes it clear just by how the relationship goes. But it's still discerning. There may be certain things that come up that make it clear that it would be not really God's plan for you to actually marry this person, despite the fact that it may have seemed that way earlier. So you you know, you can break an engagement or, or no longer be in this romantic relationship that's leading to marriage because you've discerned that you're not called to marriage. And there are mm-hmm. various reasons one might come to that conclusion 
But obviously, once you make the commitment, it's not the time to discern. You don't say, well, I'm married mm-hmm. to this person, but I want to discern whether I should really be married to this person. Well, <laughs> right, right, sorry, right. but it's a little late mm-hmm. to do that. The Lord's going to mm-hmm. give us give you the grace to handle the situation that you're in. Even if you didn't completely take all of the prudent steps along the way beforehand, if you've made that, if you made the commitment in good faith, he's going to take care of you. He's going to honor it. I, I like also yeah. there's a number of people who are involved in, you know, ministries or a job like, okay, I committed to the job. And then maybe a year or so later, they're like, oh, maybe I'm not called to this or a ministry. And it was freeing for people to hear, you discern it. Just because you were called to do it at one time doesn't mean you're called to always continue it. And that's what discernment's on and having a good spiritual advisor along the way. All right. these things can be freeing for people to know that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we, we should not assume that we've discerned more than we have. You discern that you're supposed to take the job, and you maybe assume it's going to, you know, that means you're going to keep it for a certain period of time, but at a certain point, then you have more information. Is this using your gift well? Is this meeting the needs in your life well? Are you able to serve well in this job? Are there are there other opportunities that might use your gift better and maybe give greater remuneration to help support your family, for example, that kind of thing. And uh, so, so, you know, you keep discerning. You want to make sure you're treating the people who hired you well, but accepting mm-hmm. a job doesn't mean that you've committed yourself to stay in it for the rest of your life. That's right. Quite a different thing yeah. if you're entering into a commitment like marriage and priesthood. Right. That's right. So the time went by very quickly. Here we're talking about spiritually preparing for Pentecost, how to grow in your openness to the Holy Spirit. Obviously, I highly recommend for people to to grow in an understanding of St. Ignatius's rules for discernment. And Father Peter, you are a great grace and just encouragement for many, many people over the years in being open to the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us today, Father Peter. Thank you so much. And listen, everybody, please say that prayer that I prayed. Lord Jesus Christ, please invade me with your Holy Spirit. He will answer. Amen. Well, wonderful. Well, I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Review Radio. May God bless you. And happy Pentecost. Finding out about the rules of discernment this week with Catholic Review Radio. If you want to hear the full podcast or check out previous or future episodes, make sure you visit us at Podcast Central at EWTNRadio.net. I'm Ace McKay, and when Catholics Coast to Coast returns, we're going to continue the month of Mary as Dare Great Things talks about as many of gifted people dealing with the struggle and temptations when it comes to drawing attention to themselves. Well, we can always look to Mary for that. What did she do in her servant leadership that we can learn from? We'll get into that role and more with Dare Great Things coming up next on Catholics Coast to Coast. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Dare great things for Christ. Christ. 
Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Many gifted people struggle with the temptation to draw all the attention to themselves. The allure of leadership is that it puts us in positions of power and therefore esteem in the eyes of others. A leader who's a Christian needs to resist this, of course, and dedicate themselves to really enhancing the lives of others around them as a servant. In this fourth of our 13-part series on Mary, we look at how she lived as a servant leader as she visited her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. Hey, welcome back. I'm glad that you're with us here. We continue on our this series of looking at Something rather exciting, really, like how the Virgin Mary speaks to us about what we live as leaders. And we got to remember, of course, that even though Mary might seem to be a distant kind of figure to many of us, you know, she's a statue <laughs> in our churches, you know, and therefore she can almost seem larger than life or like someone who's, who's not real, that Mary was, of course, a human being. And she lived 2,000 years ago in Nazareth as a woman. And as someone, therefore, who is just like us, following as a disciple of Jesus Christ, even though she's, of course, his mother at the same time, uh, watching God unfold his plan and doing her best to love as God commanded her to love. And and so in, in that way, when we look at her life, we see something that we can imitate. Now, the thing is, is all of you who are, who are here, you're here because you have a position of influence. You are a leader and you want to lead better. You are soccer coaches. You are moms, of course, the grandmas, right? These are all leaders' positions. Anytime that you have an influence over other people and you make that influence intentional, right, to, to change someone's life for the better as a teacher, right, as, as, as a coach, as, as a fitness advisor, a business owner, a manager, a professional, a dentist. I see all of you out here, right? And each one of you in your different fields is leading. You're creating a culture around you that lifts up everyone who is a part of it. And therefore, you're very important people. <laughs> and of course, and, and that's why I want you to look towards Mary, who was actually slightly more important than you are. <laughs> Just you know, it, it, all kidding aside, Mary is more important. She is the, the mother of God, of course. And we give her that. Well, how did Mary play her role as a leader? How, 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 what was Mary like? as someone who bore that influence in the world. Well, I mean, well, one thing that's interesting is we do this, we're using the Bible, of course, and, but we see how the Bible intersects with a lot of secular philosophy about leadership. And a, and a lot of it's very good. I hope you, you all can read some of these great books that are just out there about leadership. You know, and There's one in particular that really dovetails beautifully with Christianity, even though it's not a complete endorsement of the theory or anything, but it's called the Servant Leadership. And I think most of you who read it or study servant leadership say, well, that's exactly it. That's exactly what we are called to do, to be servant leaders. And Jesus, of course, tells us to do just that. And when he washes the feet of the apostles, he has said, as I have done this to you, so you too must do this to each other, right? Wash one another's feet. 
serve the one. The one who be greatest among you must become the servant of the rest. He literally says that, right? So we say, okay, we get that. And then we can read that philosophy and try to understand it, it, it and put it into practice. What I think is remarkable is that when I look at the life of the Virgin Mary, I can actually see her doing the same thing. And we see it specifically in the Gospel of St. Luke when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. We read it right here in Luke, Luke 1.39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord had said to her will be accomplished. Now, of course, it keeps going. Mary then proclaims her Magnificat, this beautiful prayer. And then it says in verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Right? So it seems like a very simple thing. And that's the whole beauty of it. The visitation is, in fact, a very simple thing. Mary went to visit Elizabeth, staying with her for three months. What's remarkable about this is that it's not just a visit. It's the visit between the virgin mother of God (laughs) and her pregnant kinswoman. So now you have two pregnant women. Another very important fact, Mary's age, who knows exactly, but let's suppose she was around 16. Elizabeth's age past her childbearing years. So who knows, of course, but this could make her very well the age of Mary's grandma, right? I mean, like, look at the discrepancy there in in, in the ages. And then one living in the hill country in Judea, near the power center of of all things, Jerusalem, where where that village where Elizabeth was living is not far from Jerusalem. Uh, And yet at the same time, Mary is coming all the way from Galilee. And if you look at the the road Mary would have had to have taken to get there, Mary would have journeyed between eight days and 15 days just to be able to get there. So why did she want to go? Well, that's, that's another remarkable fact about this encounter in this visit. It's that Elizabeth had not been able to conceive a child and she had gained the ridicule of people around her. They said she is the one who is sterile, right? And, and so because of that, Elizabeth was living in a, in a deep sense of shame. And yet the angel told Mary that Elizabeth was in her sixth month. And this is something that's really beautiful to contemplate about the heart of the Virgin Mary, that the angel just comes to tell her that she's going to conceive in, 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 in her womb and bear a son who will be great, called the son of the Most High, right? And ends up, will save his people from his sin. He will have the, the throne of the David and reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's what the angel told Mary. Kind of a big deal. You would think that Mary would then withdraw and say, I'm very special. I don't know what to do with myself. But the other thing that the angel said is as a sign, behold, Elizabeth, your kinswoman, is already in her sixth month of pregnancy, right? For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary latches onto that. It's immediately, it's actually in the same chapter of St. Luke, as soon as the angel leaves, Mary makes ready in haste and takes off to go see Elizabeth. <laughs> now, the, why? Because she, I, she wants to be with Elizabeth in this moment when Elizabeth's shame of sterility has been lifted from her. And, and, and now here's Elizabeth who's conceived in her old age 
And Mary wants to be with her. It's, it's remarkable. And I want to unpack that because it's such a sign of what a servant leader does. The very first thing is a certain le servant leader is able to forget themselves and look with their greatness and with their giftedness at how they can lift the other people up. What an incredible gift this is. In a worldly perspective, our gifts and our talents are there to make us rise so that we can then benefit the more in a personal way from all of the things that we've accrued over our life, our skills, our experiences, our promotions, our titles. They enable us to have more stuff, more power, more pleasure. And, and, and yet that's not the call that we see here in Mary. She's been given the greatest gift of all. I mean, nobody has anything more going for them than what Mary had going for her. <laughs> the angel says you're approved by God. God says, I want to come and live in your womb. You know, this is kind of a big deal, you know. And, and Mary is, is the most successful woman, therefore, in the history of the entire world. This has never happened before. That God has become flesh in a person's womb. So if anyone would say, well, therefore, I am the cat's meow, it could be Mary. And yet, what do you see Mary doing? Mary's immediately, the only thing the angel said about someone else, St. Elizabeth, and that's what Mary clings to. She recognizes that her gifts aren't there for her, you know, inurement. They're there so that she can give them away. And that's exactly what she does. Now, what an icon that is for you and me. Are you a young adult between the ages of 22 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, June 25th through July 1st at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. You know, I say this all the time, that the biggest problem that we have in our leadership today is when we separate our faith from it. And we allow our leadership to be, will be to be influenced and to be guided and to be, to be taught, in a sense, by other value systems than the, than the Word of God. And that, that, not that every system is bad, I mean, or, or without value, but nothing compares to the purity and the beauty and the power of the influence and the teaching that comes from God. And so what I want to do at the St. John Leadership Network is help you to hear God speaking to you and let God teach you how to lead. And, and I'm convinced that this is a good thing, right? Because what one of the examples of that is, is that if we don't allow God to teach us what to do with our giftedness, very quickly, our giftedness will become an excuse to lord ourselves over others. And even if we don't do it in a real way that's, you know, haughty or, you know, narcissistic, you know, in an overt fashion, what we end up doing is ignoring the plight of the poor or ignoring what the, the full potential for good that we could leverage our gifts and our resources and our privilege for to lift up other groups and other people, right? And so we, we miss those opportunities. So even though we might think we're very humble and nice in fact, we're not as active as we could be. And it's frankly because, well, our vision of leadership was taught to us by the world. And it was given to us by other people that say, listen, you rise to the top. You know, uh, the winners make the rules. As long as you're with a group of people that say that you're a good person, you are a good person. It kind of reminds me of, you know, the, the, the way that many people today say there's no right or wrong. 
People will come to me all the time and they'll say, you know, I don't think that there's an absolute immorality. You can't say things are objectively, universally wrong. And I, whenever that happens, you know, I, I usually stop and I'll, I'll ask them, okay, well, is there anything that's absolutely and universally right? Because if you're going to deny that there's wrong in the world, you're also in, incapable of affirming that there's anything right. Because as soon as you say that this is right, it means that the contrary to it or the opposite of it or the missing thereof is wrong. And so when, when you're in front of someone who says you can't say that things are wrong, that there is no right or wrong in the world, you're looking at someone who literally does not have an end goal that they're able to guide anyone towards. And someone who doesn't have an objective measure for their action is someone who makes their own will the measure of their action. And that person's dangerous, honestly, because of that same person. Well, who's to say how they're going to define the world and what we should live for? If there's nothing objective that allows us all to say this is an end goal that we should reach and therefore missing it or doing the contrary thereof is wrong, well, then we're consigned to the whim and therefore the tyranny of whoever it is who has power and is defining the rules for us. And therefore, I mean, this is the beauty of our Christian worldview is to not separate leadership from faith, but instead to say, I am leading from faith and in faith and the light of God is nothing to blush at. Instead, it's, it's a wonderful gift for our world. And the proof of that is that when we walk in the light of God, we become like Mary because God says, if you're a leader, you're there in order to bless the world by your leadership. In order to take the gifts that I've given you, they actually impel you to greater service. The, the one who is the first will be the last. The one who wants to be greatest among you must be the servant of the rest and the lowest, take the lowest place in the group. Well, so, so all of us want to be great. All of us want to push to the top. And God says, exactly, if you want to push the top, then be like me. Because at the Last Supper, I'm going to show you what it means to rule. I, who am the Lord and Master, I'm going to stoop down and wash the feet of my disciples and say, you must do the same. Blessed are those who wash the feet of one another. This is an incredible lesson. What an image. And then that the, the Father, the God, our Shepherd, who was the most gifted and the most powerful of any human being ever would choose to die on the cross, giving his life for us to live. It's, it's, it's the image that drives us forward. Well, that's a vision for leadership that's very compelling. But, but look what's at the heart of it, to forget ourselves. And I think a lot of us are afraid to do that. It's, it's hard to forget yourself because you feel like if you forget yourself, you're not going to get anything out of it. Right? I mean, if, if, if life is a pie and you don't grab your piece of it, well, then you're going to go hungry. It just goes to say, right? So if I spend my life serving others, well, I could end up being like George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life, right? I mean, you kind of smile when you say that because you're like, well, that is kind of what makes that whole movie so special. No man is poor, says, who has true friends. Remember that? At the very end of the movie, there, no man is poor who has true friends. Well, how do I gain true friends in the world if not by loving them, putting them first, serving them, seeing my life as a gift that lifts up other people? That's kind of what makes It's a Wonderful Life such an incredibly Christian allegory in a sense. 
It's the tale that George Bailey is a lot like the Virgin Mary. Right? It's, it, there, there's an analogy there. It, it's the idea to, to say, I'm not here in this earth for me. I'm actually here in this earth to share the goodness that's inside of me with one another, to, to, to make of it a gift. And but you see, the fear is that, we, that if we do that, we'll miss out. But I've got something news for you there. Like, are, aren't you already missing out by not having love? I mean, if love isn't first in your life, I'd like to, to invite you to, to consider making it first in your life because the person who has love has a secret that overcomes the whole world, that's greater than anything the world could offer. The person who has love in their life doesn't need anything else, except as in whatever they get, they're able to make as a gift to others and increase the love thereby. But the, the secret of our life is the one who doesn't have love is forever poor. And that's what Christian leadership is all about. And, that, and that's what we see in the Virgin Mary. She's given the greatest gift that God could possibly give and she immediately goes in order to share it with her kinswoman in need. In her sixth month, you know, so, I mean, Mary's going to be there, therefore, all the way through the birth of John the Baptist. She's, she's going to be there all the way up until that birth. Just for three months, she stays with Elizabeth, her kinswoman, serving her, helping her. You know, and you could almost say, I mean, St. Elizabeth gets it right. She says, who am I that you should come to me? Right? In other words, like, like you are greater than me. You're the mother of God, and I'm just the mother of John the Baptist. And yet that's the whole beautiful image here of what it means to be a Christian leader. Yes, I might be greater, like Christ is greater than the apostles and yet washes their feet. Mary is greater than Elizabeth and yet serves Elizabeth. Well, you are greater than many people in this world. And, 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 you, and you are so that you make it a gift and a service that lifts up and builds up the others around you. Even, at, even if that means forgetting yourself, I'd almost like to say, blessed are we for being able to forget ourselves. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. There's another aspect to this mystery of the visitation that I want to look at with you and, and that's the Mary's Magnificat. It's, it's a prayer. The Magnificat is the Latin word, right? That It literally means my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Magnificat to magnify. My soul magnifies the Lord. And, and because it's a remarkable prayer in that Mary takes stock of all of the ways that God has blessed her and, 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 and God, the, the things that God has done for her that are amazing. And I, and I think this is interesting because we are, we're tempted to say, well, isn't that the antithesis of humility? Doesn't humility consist in saying that I'm bad or consist in saying that I'm, I really don't have much going for me? You know, isn't a humble person someone who hides themselves or at least acts, you know, as if the gifts that they have aren't all that great? Well, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because here you have the Magnificat where the Virgin Mary is given to us as an, as an example of someone who sees her blessed state. I mean, she even says, all generations will call me blessed, right? For the Most High has done great things for me. 
<laughs> and you could always say, well, gosh, isn't that going to get in the way of her self-gift? Isn't that going to get in the way of her service? How can someone serve other people if they're walking around saying, God has done great things for me? Right? And I think that's what's so beautiful about it. I would actually say this. The reason why we don't serve enough is because we don't take enough stock of the great things that God has given us. The problem isn't that we have great things or not. The problem is that we don't recognize that they come from God. I mean, you're sitting here, extremely educated individuals. You have college degrees. You, you know, you've gone to great universities. You have experiences in, li in licensing and you've been certified and you've experienced in your career 15 years doing in your professions. You're at the, the acme of your careers. And you're going to sit here and tell me that you don't have gifts. It's, it's just really amazing. There was a study that was done by the Clifton Gallup poll um, group, and they asked Americans, you know, in a poll, uh, poll selection group, to name three of their top strengths. And only 15% of people surveyed could actually come up with three things that they were strong in. 15%. That means 85, 8.5 out of 10 Americans cannot list or name the things that they're really good at. And I think it's even worse when it comes to Christians because then we, we mope around. We say, well, you know, I'm, I don't really want to, you know, make myself sound like I'm, I'm, I'm much better than anyone else, etc. Well, I, I can understand that from a certain angle. But then from another angle, if you really want to make a difference in the world, in your family, for example, let's just suppose, let's just talk to you to get rid of the big talk. Let's talk about you and your family. If you're a grandpa and you think that you've got nothing to offer your family, <laughs> well, you're definitely not going to offer them anything. <laughs> the very first step to failing in leadership is to not know where you're going to lead the people to or to think that you're incapable of it. Well, you're, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. No one's going to follow someone who doesn't want to lead them. And so, but who am I to give anything? I, you got to restore that. You of yourself might have, yeah, there might be a lot of things wrong with us, right? We might have done a lot of things wrong in our life. We might have a lot of failures and cracks and all these things in us. But by golly, God, I am not just the sum of my faults and my failings. I'm the sum of God's love for me and his gift that he's given to me. I mean, I, I am someone who has been forgiven by God. That's a whole different attitude that we could take. If I led the people around me as if I'm someone who God has given a second chance to, I'd be more likely to give a second chance to everyone else, wouldn't I? You know, if I took stock of the fact that, that God gave me a sunshine every morning and God has given me hope in my heart, wouldn't it be possible for me to then, even more possible, to look around and tell everyone else the same thing? You know what I mean? Like looking at how God gives me well, his love, his assurance, his justice, his, his faithfulness allows me to do and give the same to the other people around me. This is what the secret of Mary is. It's not that she hid the gifts of God. It's that she received them. <laughs> and receiving them, she was able to dispense them. I mean, she becomes the blessing for Elizabeth that God was for her. Just as God graced her with his presence in her womb, Mary graced Elizabeth with Mary's presence in her house. Just as God preserved Mary from sin, so Mary could come with a smile of compassion and understanding to Elizabeth in her difficult situation of sterility. 
You know, I mean, look, look at how this, this plays itself out. Leaders receive the gifts from God into who they are without fear because it's not the gifts that separate us from the, our people or from other people. The gifts actually can unite us with other people. That's the, the intention of God by giving a gift to a leader isn't that he makes the leader separate thereby or, or he makes the leader a king who lords in, in a tyrannical way over people. The reason why God gives gifts to some is so that thereby they can be united even more closely with their fellow human beings. I mean, what a vision. That leaders are the source of unity because the gifts that we receive, we give away. That's what it means to lead by, to, as a servant and to serve as a leader. This is exactly what we see Mary doing. She goes forth into communion from the height of the solitude that she's achieved by God's gift to her. I mean, God gives her such a gift and makes her the only one in the world that can do that. And Mary turns around and suddenly puts that, folds that into a service to lift up Elizabeth in her moment of need. And what a pattern that is for all of us. I guess what I'm trying to say to you guys is don't be afraid of your greatness. Don't be afraid to let God bless you. Don't be afraid to embrace the, 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 the real treasures that you have been given by God of intellect and faithfulness and talent and virtue, good education, good family, all these things that, yes, give you a privilege in a really wonderful way. There's not a problem with having a privilege. Privilege is there so that you can pour yourselves out all the more effectively to help other people, to educate. You know, it, to see that gift as a mission. Mary received Jesus into her soul as God's greatest gift and allowed that gift to impel her forth as a missionary. And she continues to do that throughout her life. She gives birth to Jesus and then presents Jesus to the shepherds. She presents Jesus to the wise men. She takes Jesus over into Egypt. She takes Jesus into the temple. She allows Anna to prophesy over Jesus. She allows Zechariah to take Jesus in his arms. She then takes Jesus home to Nazareth, where then she prepares. And at Cana, she sends him forth on his mission. You know what I mean? She's constantly giving Jesus. Her last words in the Bible, do whatever he tells you to do. Mary was able to do that because of the way that she understood the gifts of God. And, and that becomes such an example for us all. Receive those gifts so that you can give them away and give them generously away. Give them away in such a way that they multiply. That's what it means to lead like a Christian servant. Wrapping up the month of Mary with Dare Great Things. If you want to hear the entire podcast to learn more about Mary and her servant leadership, make sure you check out our podcast central section at EWTNRadio.net. But we'll do it again next week as we kick off into the month of June. And I hope you have an excellent week. Get to enjoy a nice Memorial Day weekend. And in the meantime, remember to let God define who you are. And I'll see you back next week with Catholics Coast to Coast.